Bitte beachten Sie die Regeln. Everyone. <laughs> and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast My about speed race cars. Yes. Is, is all the German you know from Wolfenstein, Danny? Yes. Yes, it is. Danny what, yeah, All the Strog I know is from Quake as well. What of it? <laughs> uh, that is German for please respect the rules, which is uh, something I think um, a lot of German-speaking people would say and a lot of people who work in Formula One management would say. Uh, and we will get to why later in the race but first um rob zagney how are you doing oh not too bad uh i think i'm probably going to be the happiest about this race because <laughs> you know i know because i know what i'm getting <laughs> i mean for once you guys called it that uh this was going to be a boring race unfortunately tragically we were completely on the mark this time <laughs> but i mean uh, even even so it gave us some stuff to talk about so i'm i'm kind of excited to to get into it uh thank yeah. you again for for covering for me uh while i was out um and uh and thanks for for putting that patreon video together that was really fun oh yeah i was uh i was fun to get out yeah i i i you know we don't try and pimp the patreon stuff too too much but i cannot recommend people watch this video any anymore it's uh it has higher production values than i think any of us were expecting thanks to jeremy jane um for filming it uh and uh yeah the beers were very interesting just daniel ricardo is providing us entertainment off the track and on the track uh and we we love him for it yeah and thanks again to jeremy for for helping us record that and the podcast it wasn't until i had another person that was not us in the room that i realized how weird it must everything be for we someone. do everything we, like we have so many weird voices and and rituals that we do that he was probably really baffled by it but uh yeah thanks to thanks to jeremy um speaking of bafflement do you guys want to get into you want to do qualifying first sure it's all a fucking haze right now if i'm completely honest well, i just watched to... it so wow um, so can, actually before we get into it can i ask you did you did you have an idea of what the race was going to be like like before you watched the VOD, had you heard like social media scuttlebutt? No. Okay, you were okay. I mean, well, that probably I, made it easy. But I knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I knew okay. it was going to be a, you know, just right. a race around tarmac. But um, you know, that's what uh, that's what it seems like the French GP is. We've only had a sample size of two in the modern era, I guess. But no one, I don't think, was ever pumped on this circuit. Um. They're all too buzzed on Blue Coast to care. That's True. the trick. Yeah. Uh, Giovinazzi, I think, was pumped to get into Q3. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he outqualified his teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, who ended up 12th. Um, and then, kind of a weird moment for Vettel. Uh, he claimed he missed an upshift on his first yeah. run in Q3 and had to abort. Was he saying he missed one, or was he saying the, the engine, gearbox yeah. missed one? Right. The transmission yeah. skipped a gear yeah. or something. Uh, which is like, again, we're seeing him leave it really, really close for a qualifying session. Uh, and he says, um, on the last lap, this is from racefans.net, I don't know. I just couldn't feel the same car that I had in other parts of qualifying. Uh, so I'm not happy not being able to extract the maximum today. I think that's why we've also not qualified where we should be. He ended up seventh. Uh, which, yeah, which was exciting because you thought, oh, great, that's what we want. We want to have one of the faster cars 
you know, stuffed in the back there a little bit so we can get a bit of, bit of competition, bit of overtaking. Yeah, uh, Lewis Hamilton on pole, Valtteri Bottas in second, La- uh, Leclerc's in third, followed by Verstappen, and then Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz in fifth and sixth. The highest yeah. uh, McLaren has started since 2014 when they had Button and Magnussen. Um, yeah, awesome stuff. Yeah, really cool to see those guys up there. Um, Sebastian Vettel in seventh, followed by Daniel Ricciardo in Renault's home race. Uh, also fellow Frenchman, Pierre Gasly, uh, fellow, I guess, to Renault. Is that what I meant? Um, and uh, Antonio Giovinazzi rounding out the top 10. Alex Albon uh, should be noted very close to Pierre Gasly's qualifying time in Q2, despite Albon being on the hard tire uh, or being on the uh, medium tire and Gasly being on the soft. Um, Albon, to me, and we'll get into uh, more of his antics during the race, he seems like he's for real. Uh, more and more as the season goes on, um, I'm, I'm watching Alexander Albon. But yeah, he qualified 11th. You know who doesn't seem like they're for real? Who's Lance that, Stroll. <laughs> so, okay, I have to call out this beat because it was like genuinely this might have been the moment where I actually started to feel a little bad for the guy. Right. Uh, because so Otmar Safnauer kind of went out of his way. Team principal not- of Racing Point. Yeah, he kind of went out of his way not to point fingers or, like, get into why Sergio Perez, like, kicked Stroll's ass in the same car. Like, particularly (laughs) this week, uh, why was Stroll out in Q1 when the car under Perez seemed pretty clearly capable of being a lot better than that? And uh, Safnauer was just kind of vague and noncommittal about it and sort of indicated there may have been issues with the car, maybe that Stroll was uh, having trouble with, uh, that Stroll may have, like, you know, just had something he was dealing with on that last run. And so when the, uh, when, when the Sky Reporter interviews Stroll, they ask about, well, so, so what happened on your last run? Like, Safnauer men- mentioned that... Uh, you know, you might have had some issues with, with the car. And Stroll just looks like blank-faced. And he's like, no, uh, no issues. And so then, that well, so why didn't you come anywhere near what Perez did? And Perez, like, and Stroll just looked so defeated. And he was like, you know, Checo just finds time on this track. And I don't know where he's where he's finding it and I'm about to look at what he's doing and one it's just I don't know it's just it's brutal like this is this is one that whole like intra-team rivalry is at its most excruciating to watch because first of all the narrative is always that you're in identical cars that's almost always false almost always there's setup differentials there's uh, a lot of times like component uh, variables between the two but nevertheless it's always treated like your teammate and you are at least you can measure these two drivers neatly one to one against each other. And so that makes these moments when someone is just r- like routinely getting crushed uh, by their teammate and increasingly has to explain it just all the more excruciating. And the problem with Stroll's answer is that what he was describing there, not knowing where his teammate is finding the time on the track, like literally having no clue where that is located, that's something you hear people who quit racing talk about. Right. Like the difference between 
a high achieving professional race driver and you know someone who tops out much at a much lower level or who doesn't last and you know doesn't last at the top a lot of times what you hear them describe like uh, Christian Horner in his interview on Beyond the Grid talks about the moment he knew it was time to hang it up is he was watching his peers in uh open wheel racing like taking lines at speeds that Horner did not comprehend. He could not right. he could not fathom how they were doing it. And th- so this was kind of the week where I just began to feel a little bit awkward because imagine how much it, how much it must suck to have the means and opportunity to be promoted to a point where your incompetence like really shines through. Like <laughs> most people Most of us never get there. <laughs> right, like this is this is to a degree kind of the the curse of, uh, you know the the curse of privilege. <laughs> yeah, like Stroll has gotten to this point where he's probably he probably is a great driver by like normal everyday average person standards, but he's in F one and he maybe shouldn't be. And now week after but, week, but it's kind of clear why. But, but Rob, his dad owns the team. How does he get out? He can't get out. He's stuck. What do you say to your dad? What do you say to your dad? It's like your dad bought you an apartment in the middle of New York. And it's like, but I want him. I want to move to New Jersey, dad. Yeah. I want to move to F2. Look, the uh, penthouse on Central Park West is great. I love it. Um, I'm scared of heights. Yeah, just... Maybe not. Maybe it's not me. Like, I don't know how you say like, you know, that distressed F1 team that I sort of wanted you to buy so I could continue trying to be a race car driver. I appreciate the gesture, but did you keep the receipt? (laughs) Also, the commentator keeps calling it by the old name. So maybe we should just get rid of it anyway. (laughs) What is it? He said uh, on the opening lab, Crofty calls it uh, Force India, and then Brundle immediately corrects him. Uh, Racing Point, as they call it now, very forgettable, it must be said. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I will say, just regarding the Q3 performances, uh, in, in Vettel's defense, I think there's two things. One is that Q3 short. Like, genuinely, if one mm. thing goes wrong on that first run, you have to make the next one stick, right? Like yeah, basically, he was pulling in with like three and a half minutes left or something, right? When he boxed himself. Yeah, you don't get a lot of time. And then the other thing that appeared to happen as Q T Q Q two died off and Q three began and, and continued, the wind shifted and picked up. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing I think we can probably safely say at this point, that Ferrari seems more skittish with regard to arrow yeah. than other cars on the grid. So like it was an Bahrain. Yeah, so it was an underwhelming performance from from Seb, but I think this was you saw how much uh uh Valtteri's pace fell off as well once the wind shifted. Like if you didn't hit that first window uh to to do well on the on the track, it was going to be very hard to do well in the final like couple minutes of Q3. Window. It's a good pun. Window. <laughs> Yeah, you got it. Was it a you did it. Was it a punt? Sure was. Okay. Yep, I saw I saw the wink. Kimi Raikkonen starting 12th, uh, followed by Nico Hulkenberg, Sergio Perez, Kevin Magnussen in 15th, Roman Grosjean in 16th. Haas boys not doing so great around the oh, French circuit. Gets worse. 
Uh, Lance Stroll in 17th, uh, Kubica in 18th, and then Danny Kafiat and George Russell are in 19th and 20th after both got uh, penalties for uh, power unit element changes. Although Russell, I think, did qualify behind Kubica anyway. Uh, did he? Okay. I think he had a, yeah, he's a four tenths off him or something. Alrighty. Um, well, should we uh, take it to the race then? Um, sure. I, I do want to just point out that uh, the commentators were saying that Ricardo, Renault brought some upgrades. Um, they called Ricardo's car like a, a, a new spec and Hulkenberg's like spec 1A. Um, mm. And uh, also, it was great to see Lando Norris dancing in his car while waiting for the, <laughs> the race to start. <laughs> did you yeah. see that yeah although he didn't have um he didn't have exactly the the best opening turn so maybe he wouldn't have been dancing if you do hey, he's starting happen. fifth it's pretty cool yeah he was pretty happy on twitter um he also i yeah i sent him a gif and he liked it and it made me feel <laughs> made me feel like i'd been i'd been seen by senpai also did everyone note that before the cars were even running the track surface temperature was 57 celsius yeah like yeah this may have been a boring race, but from the first, it seemed like just an awful race to be an F1 driver in. Like, you know, a lot of times, I'm like, boy, that, se- that seems like the life. Facing down, the like, what was it, 57 laps on uh, Paul Ricard with the surface temperature of 57C and, like... That's 127 Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, it just seemed it just seemed rough, especially if For Danny you're co- Ricardo, <laughs> or if you're just one of those teams that can't make the tires work. Right, uh, I, I mentioned Danny because um, his water bottle was broken. I think for the entire race. Oh, yeah, they they radioed him at one stage and said, "Make sure you drink." And he was like, "I can't. It's not working. Buttons not working." That happened to somebody it's, recently. Yeah. Was it? Was it last it year? Perez. No, signs. And then Marcus Erickson was like, yeah, I never used a water bottle. Everyone was like, whoa. <laughs> Iceman. Yeah. Uh, first, all right, you want to take lap? us yeah, through the start, Danny? Yeah, sure. I mean, when they got off the line, um, it, it, it looked like they were like six or seven abreast at one stage. You could see Verstappen taking a, a, a crazy... Uh, I mean, everyone had good starts, first of all, but it looked like Verstappen was taking this crazy outside line. Um, what we couldn't see in the background was a horrific start from Alexander Albon, who slipped from uh, 11th to 16th almost immediately. Um, and then, I mean, the front four kind of like were all comfortable enough in position. Uh, entering that first... Um, uh, turn Lando Norris uh, slipped back. Carlos Sainz managed to get Rennie outside him. Um, Verstappen was kind of. It was one of those situations where, like, a car under braking kind of slowed down the car behind him and, and allowed uh, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. to get the jump on on, on Norris. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, they were all clean the whole way through. The only real incident that happened on their first lap, except for um, Albon's really bad start, was Sergio Perez, who did a bit of a Roman Grosjean and. I mean, we'll probably dive into it, but I felt like he was hard done by at the start. Although I, I kind of, I get it. Um, I'm not really sure. How do you, how do you feel about this? He basically went off the track. He went around the escape road, around the bollard, as you're supposed to. Yeah, he was kind of, he was like, it got really tight in, I think, turn three. Mm. Uh, and it's a that is a, a Left, right right hander. It's a right hander, and so you can bail. And this track is all runoff, so it's fine. You can bail <laughs> and and cut that corner, but you've got to rejoin the track after a uh, a bollard 
right? And it's a pretty wide escape road. Well, I guess it's not really an escape road. It's not like Monza, but it's like it's a it, you know the valley where it is is pretty far away. It's up on like I think the apex of the of two corners later. And I guess during race pace, it would have been fine. But the, the issue, I guess, is that on that first lap, they're all a little bit heavier. They're all boxed in together. They're not really going as fast as they would be in race pace. So by the time he actually went around the bollard, he had gotten an advantage because his average speed was higher um, and the distance traveled was higher. So when he entered, you know, it's kind of like those situations where you drive off the race line a little bit and you come back on. And if you've gotten past somebody, you, ha- you have to give that position back. That's kind of, I guess, what happened. Um, he didn't he, give the position back. He jumped two cars, I think, yeah. Yeah, so he, he the advantage he got was, you know, it, it felt like the stewards were penalizing the sort of, the result, not the act. That, like, he had done what he was supposed to do, but ultimately it was an unfair thing that happened, so they had to penalize him for it. But it kind of sucked. It's, it's like, oh, well, you know, surely there should be a better way of having the the rules in that case but i guess you can't really you know you can't really change the rules after the fact what, what do you think rob uh so for me like okay for, for one thing it does drive me a little bit batty listening to commentators turn into like small government like libertarians <laughs> like every single race about just yeah. oh just let us have some proper racing mate uh like we can we can lay off the top gear corniness uh, just a little bit. To me, this didn't seem that that complicated. So there are guidelines given to drivers at every course about procedures and where you can go off and where you can rejoin. Those don't supersede the rule that you can't improve your position by going off the track. This notion right. that oh he was told to use this use this path if you go off here. Uh, and so, therefore, it should have been fine if he came out ahead of two cars he was behind when he went off. Uh, that isn't that actually isn't complicated. That's just, yeah, just that because he's followed one rule does not absolve him from breaking another. <laughs> right. And the other thing is, and I think a couple of people noted this, he didn't really have to go off there, right? Now, yeah. he may, now it may have been a smart defensive move, right? Like. One of the things when it's getting too hairy in a corner, it is probably smart. You can't recover from a busted up car. So probably a smart move to just exit out and and go around. But the notion that, you know, he like this isn't like a Vettel situation where you could argue that uh, the car was basically only semi under control during the critical juncture. And therefore, he had to take that line. That doesn't appear to have been the case here. Uh, so I think in terms of like what was enforced, what was what was judged here, I think that makes perfect sense. I don't think it's a bad ruling. The problem is the rules suck. The rules suck, especially at tracks like this. Like, and I don't yeah. want to be... We talked about you. You even mentioned this last week. You said that there's going that there could very well be a situation where somebody gains an advantage by missing one of these turns. And we probably need to maybe embrace that, right? Like, like embrace the uh, sort of. We're back to indie, indie uh, Austin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's look. There's the tiny uh, Paul Ricard circuit that we've got, but then there's this Paul Ricard circuit. That we could have in our dreams where like it's got cool racing stripes all over it and like some parts of the track like have wild and crazy bumps like man what could be more super nintendo wait, than using the second. stripey bits 
wait a second, Rob, doesn't like a third of this track have sprinklers on it already? I mean, they, that was so amazing. They were talking about what, we could do. We could do it all. Like we create a speed boost zone, like in Formula E. But I, I, I do think attack mode. Yeah, there's there's just a problem here where if there'd been exciting action elsewhere in this race, we'd probably be like, oh yeah, it's good that uh, they were they were keeping things fair. This circuit doesn't let you race like that. Like this is if you want to overtake somebody at the circuit, just the way it's laid out, it appears that you basically have to go. You have to exceed track limits in a modern F1 car. You can't you you basically can't legally pass somebody at the circuit unless you have a massive performance advantage. And so we've got these rules that basically mandate that anytime somebody pushes the limits and explores the limits of their car or the limits of the track and maybe pushes beyond those a little bit chances are a really heavy penalty is going to come down on them. And therefore, you get the sort of processional race that that we ended up getting. That appears to be a correct interpretation of the rules. It's not complicated. But either the rules are screwed up uh, or F1 has a massive problem with the venues it's selecting. I, I, uh, I haven't been watching racing enough to know the answer to this, but um, a lot of people were dredging up uh, F1's own tweet uh, about the battle that Felipe Massa and uh, Robert Kubica had at Fuji 2008, uh, and I will uh, link it in the show notes, but it's basically those two guys racing around, cutting corners all over the place and just trying to get one up on each other, and it's like held as one of these uh, fantastic moments uh, of that season and, uh, you know, of the modern era. Were the rules the same and the decision was made to be lenient on them or, and, and have now we decided, you know what, we had these rules here, we should probably enforce them or were the rules themselves different? Casting my mind back and I might be getting this completely wrong, but I feel like there is a pretty strong connection between the sort of surfaces they had, like the rumble strips of old on the corner, the apexes and stuff that they had in the past, which were really rough on modern suspensions and the sort of reinforcement of this four wheels off the track thing. In my head, that's that's where a lot of that came from. But I could be I could be I could be misremembering. Thing I'll also say about like the mid to late two thousand series, the Formula One rules were bullshit back then. Like, oh, yeah. gen- like genuinely, like cast your mind back to that era. Uh, to me, it always felt like officiating was very political and very much a judgment call that varied week by week. And who was your, uh, you know, who were the driver stewards uh, that were that were working the race that weekend? Which I, I think goes back to the conversation we had, uh, you know, when we were all together talking about uh, Canada, right? This this idea that. We've got more clarity in the rules. There's less ambiguity about the rule appears to be, you know, this for one person and something else for uh, someone in an identical situation. We are getting fairly consistent rulings now. We are being like enforced. Them. Yeah. This, this is like a very uh, interesting mirror with what's going on with the World Cup at the moment, where the amount of, um, I think we're in the quarterfinals now of the, the Women's World Cup in France, where there are an astonishing amount of game 
winning or losing decisions based off of VAR, which is the replay system, especially in relation to handballs and penalties mm-hmm. or retaking penalties because goalkeepers have come off the line. Stuff that like would have not been noticed in the past is now getting like targeted and it's it's they're making massive like they're winning and losing games off of this in a way that like is the way we wanted it because it's a fair and equitable and the the lines are very clear kind of way but also it kind of fucking sucks like it's taken some of the you know i don't know the 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 human element is kind of lost a little bit in in the paperwork um yeah, I don't know. It uh, it doesn't help that both of these races, I think, I mean, they both kind of came down to, or the most interesting elements of them came down to, um, you know, people going off the track. And we had it in the first lap here, and we had it in the last lap, too. Well, let's, uh, let's keep chugging through these laps, then. Um, lap five, <laughs> Russell and Kubica had a nice battle. Uh, Russell having to go off track a little bit and takes out a braking marker, which is kind of, fuck, kind I of love, explodes. I love I love that. Your next highlight is the battle for last place. Or actually, they, they, they were, I guess they were, you know, in the mix a bit more there. Uh, and the next note I have is Renault's space helmets in their pit lane. Their pit guys are wearing oh. these amazing looking helmets that I've never noticed before. They look, actually, you know what they look like? They look like, uh, like Daft the, Punk the Daft something? Punk helmet. Yeah. Right, cool. Um, awesome. Uh, I will... Let me make a note to to link that as well. I'll have to find some cool picture. Um, Then we start getting some action from Ricardo. Uh, He passes Gasly for 15th after uh, Ricardo tried the undercut, didn't end up doing it, but was able to get him on the back straight, which really has just got to put a big old smile on that face passing a Red Bull. That DRS straight was nuts as well. It was the cars were overtaking like halfway down something else the commentators pointed out yeah like geez he came from a long ways away we should probably shorten that drs straight ah um ricardo passes grosjean then on lap 28 grosjean then complains about rejoining the track dangerously (laughs) jesus christ yeah he did in canada as well remember with uh perez on turn one that's yeah i mean and perez complains every time something happens as well so of course this race had both of them i wonder how many Drivers also do that, and we just hear Grosjean's on the radio. That was his beef, I think, a, a few years ago. Like they just, oh, really? they just play my stuff more. Everyone says this. Well, then do do a Kimmy and just say a weird thing every couple of laps, and then they'll use that instead. <laughs> yeah, say make a catchphrase. Say Sacre Bleu every race or something. I think the one uh, quirk is that if you don't report it, the stewards are much less likely to look at it. But if you do, then they have to. I think that's how it goes. It's like the police. If you don't call 911, they don't come. <laughs> um, it's not good, a crime. Good move by Albon uh, on Giovinazzi for 16th place, which is pretty cool. Uh, and lap 36 is when David Croft brings up the sprinklers. This race could do with something lively, like the sprinklers. They talk about uh, Bernie Eccleston's idea of creating a wet race and, and ted yeah, kravitz and he actually owns this circuit <laughs> yeah like yeah i heard you guys mention that in the last episode um ted kravitz actually investigates he asks someone where the controls are for the sprinklers like that's the race we're having yeah the ted kravitz the pit reporter is asking questions like novelty quest the type of questions that he asks 
40 minutes into the second red flag. You know what I mean? Right. Like when they're, when they're just padding for time. Like that's what they're doing like during the race. Oh my God. Uh, lap 43, things start going sideways for Norris. Um, he gets a radio message that his it is not allowed to use his DRS button. Um, then he starts reporting really bad upshifts and uh, Martin Brundle uh, surmises that this is because of a hydraulic issue. Like he, they disallow him from using DRS, which is a hydraulically controlled surface. Uh, then They're he's getting the, bad upshifts. Yeah, yeah, that like using the DRS more would, you know, lesser, lessen the pressure or would cause another problem. And or then, that the DRS wouldn't close. I think was another issue. Oh, sure. Maybe, with the hydraulics, if it's if it's if they're operating badly, that it might you might open it and it might close. The. Uh... What interesting timing for that fault to appear as well. Like, because remember, prior to that, uh, Norris was driving really, really well and was pretty much crawling up the back of signs. Yeah. And yeah. he was starting to get heated on the radio uh, because he was convinced he had more pace. It looked like he might, but again, like, you really can't tell what relative pace is when the, the person getting the benefit of the draft says they have more pace than <laughs> right. the teammate's car. Uh, I feel, and I mean, yeah, they weren't racing like Seb was ahead of Carlos Sainz Jr. So like, and he was miles ahead as well. So the argument was that uh, Sainz was basically just, you know, trying to make sure his tires didn't blow out b- before the end of the race. Um, again, who knows, you know, but yeah, it was like, why, why does Nar like Norris is going to chase Vettel down. So like, just yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It was a, it, it, but like you said, it was kind of a null point in the end because almost immediately he he had the problem. Well, initially, and that's the thing. Like when they first told him, yeah, uh, don't use DRS. I think this is why he asked. Uh, there was some interesting phrasing behind the yeah. question he asked. Uh, don't use it like it won't work, or don't use it like a can't or something like, like that. I'm not allowed. Or I'm not allowed. Yeah. yeah. And they're like yeah. confirmed you are not allowed, which means I think he like, he was in this headspace where am I getting team ordered just like kind mm. of quietly here. Mm, and nice. it's actually in some ways, like from the standpoint of team harmony, it's almost fortunate that there was that hydraulics <laughs> issue because of just the setup to that moment. And then the way they initially made the objection, uh, known that he that he couldn't use DRS, I think they'd sort of set up a little bit of doubt about whether or not he was being given like clearance to race uh, fairly, and then of course it turned into just a nightmare drive uh, for him. But a nightmare drive that again like ends up improving your reputation as a driver, right? Like yeah. who are you when the car stops working? And Norris kind of proved. He's still a really solid driver, even when like power steering basically stopped working. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, his engineer warned him of that, and that the car will become unstable because of the differential. Uh, which I'm not really a car guy, <laughs> technically, uh, but my understanding is that the differential trades power between the wheels, and so going around a turn, if that's not working properly, you can start to get really squirrely uh and which is what happened with norris so he he did a lot to keep this train behind him of uh ricardo raikkonen and hulkenberg uh lando in seventh and those are eight nine and ten behind him um that again starts happening lap 43 
Uh, lap 46, we get a message to Vettel, plan F, which everyone's <laughs> like, oh, geez, Ferrari. How press, many plans press have F, you got? Press F. Press F to plan. Yeah, uh, but then I think we learned that it that just stands for fastest lap. So he has a, enough of a gap, two signs that he can pit and come back out still in uh, fifth place. Um, then we get another good battle with Albon and his teammate, Danny Kvyat, for 14th place. This was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Danny made it, made it stick. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, those guys are... Um, uh, uh, fun to watch this year, and I hope uh, Toro Rosso continues to kind of get better. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, Danny's making a case for 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 coming back up to the big leagues. Like, and yeah. Gasly is making a case for being sent yeah. down. Like that's yeah. the other thing is both those uh, Toro Rosso drivers look pretty solid, and Gasly just doesn't like. He hasn't. He still looks like a Tara Rosso, but he's in. He's in the Red Bull. He's in the Red Bull now, and yeah. that's a big problem. And I think he lost by this time in the race, and then to the end, he had lost three places. He was eight down to eleventh. Boy, um, left forty-seven points. More misery for Grosjean. He retires the car. Yeah. Um. Yikes. I mean, he ret- he retires the car, but also. What position was he in by that stage? Probably back of the field. Yeah, yeah 16th. God, they were they yeah. were so they were so bad. Magazine well, behind him in seventeenth. We talked yeah. about like oh. we, we talked about the I don't remember what episode it was, but there was that really good analysis I think by Craig Scarborough over on Race Fans where why are they particularly hit hard by the Pirelli tires this year? And it's that their car is just not fe- like just doesn't have good arrow. And so they don't have mm-hmm. sustained high speeds in, uh, you know, fast corners. And so their tires lose temperature like crazy. And I've never seen it as vividly described. It is one like as vividly demonstrated at a race as it was this week. Like it is one thing to know they're having these tire issues. It is another to watch a car that I think we all know to be like, yeah, kind of mediocre, but like solidly middle of the pack and yeah. watch it just, like plummet like a stone as you know the distance between when those tires were last under blankets and now yeah. uh continues to increase yeah it's absolutely bananas like by the end of this race he got gobbled up by antonio giovinazzi as well so you know the only thing separating him in the bottom was the the two the two also rans who who trade you know last place every week so uh, between canada and this week like what an absolute nightmare for Haas. i wonder if the mid-season break can't come soon enough uh well things go from uh bad to worse for lando norris lap oh. 53 who wants to take us through this one yeah, I'll Danny. do it. I guess right. I did the first lap. I'll do the last lap. Yeah, I mean he's swimming around. Like by the there's a shot of Danny Rick coming up behind him, and Lando like Norris looks like he's yeah, it's ridiculous. He's just flopping all over the place. The back of the car. He's obviously wrestling with it really hard. Uh, Ricardo with a I don't know, let's say five or six corners left. Um, he goes around him and sort of he kind of throws it down. Uh, late breaking makes the pass. Unfortunately, overshoots the corner, ends up up on the blue and whites. And as he re-enters the track, kind of the reverse of the, the Vettel-Hamilton situation, he um, he comes on, gets a bit of uh, understeer, 
comes on, basically pushes Norris off the racing line, um, uh, which slows him down, which means that then the fast-approaching Kimi Räikkönen and, and Nico Hülkenberg behind Ricciardo overtake both of them. Ricardo's still in the fight. Norris at this stage for his sins is like he hasn't got the pace to keep up with them anyway, so he's just lost like three places. Um, but then Ricardo attempts to recatch Kimi, goes to the right of him where there's no space. On the left, there was all the space in the world. Um, puts all four wheels up on the blue and whites again off the track uh, and then, I guess, underbreaks him into that, uh, that, uh, that turn at the end. So... Uh, pretty soon afterwards, like everyone kind of thought, okay, Ricardo's going to get a penalty. Like so, there's something in there is, is getting adjudicated on. Um, and uh, pretty soon afterwards, it was uh, revealed that he he got two penalties. But it it sucks the most for Norris because the first instance where he got pushed out, like sunk him three places in a way that you know he he got one back after the race because of Ricardo's penalty, but. You know, it was it just it was a torpedo into uh, Lando Norris's race on the last lap, which I feel like he was the one driver everyone was pulling for, and he was driver of the day as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it it just kind of sucked. Um, yeah, top to bottom. Alternate take. Okay. It ruled. <laughs> oh, it it was also the best thing that happened in the race. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here and my favorite part is the fallout between the two of them being so amicable. Yeah, and and this is the thing, like to a degree, this is you know kind of the victimless crime, right? Like there is an element of nobody's taking it that hard, uh, no, nobody's that pissed. Uh, Norris was in a vulnerable car, and if you look at like watching it live. I did make the note. It looked if, like looks iffy, um, and then they call in for investigation. They show the replays, and to me, it still looked iffy. And like again, the way they're interpreting and enforcing the rules right now, like, pretty clearly something that in this rules regime they're operating right now, you do take action on, especially this week, given what the, given the point that yeah. Formula One just made. Uh, Can you imagine how pissed Vettel would be if Ricardo hadn't gotten a penalty? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? This is talk about having really tied your hands, going into <laughs> the French GP having just basically uh, really put a finger on the scale of a of a race. Uh, you know, in, in some ways, uh, having, having just done that, and then multiple less impactful breaches happen that now you have to go intervening in. But looking at it. It looks to me, it's not like, to me, it does not look like Ricardo makes a decision to say, screw it, I'm going to cut the track for my own advantage. It looks to me like he tries to go in late like he always does. He doesn't quite make it. He tries to follow the line of the corner. He doesn't cut the corner. He just goes all four wheels off and then tries to rejoin. Is Is it an unsafe rejoining the track? Maybe, except here's the thing. It's all freaking race surface anyway. It's all tarmac. So it's not like you have an out-of-control car uh, torpedoing onto the track like it would be if it was grass. He like he is next to Norris. Norris knows he's there. So how unsafe is it really when everyone knows it's a wheel-wheel duel going on? And then the pass on Raikkonen, again, clearly uh, he's exceeding track limits, except here's the thing. He's not exceeding them to get a better 
line on the upcoming corner. Actually, he's in a less advantageous position for the corner that, that is upcoming. He's locked himself to the inside line. Does he maybe get a little elbows out with Kimmy? Yeah, probably. But I just look at it and I'm thinking, again, this is more the kind of racing I'd want to say. This isn't this isn't bad. It's just mm. illegal in the way we've constructed the rules and then the venues we operate. <laughs> but I look at it and I'm like, that seems all right. Like mm-hmm. if you if this you, were a racing you game, the... you feel good about yourself, right? <laughs> did you see the qualifying uh, the the video of the uh, overtake that happened on the Nurburgring? I think on the Nordschleife, it was like over the weekend or something. There was some there was some racing going on there and uh, there's an overtake that happens on one of the straights. Uh, that really long one, whatever it's called. I, forget, I always forget the name of that really long straight on. I think that's where it was anyway. Um, where uh, not open wheel racing, um, a driver overtakes at an incredibly high speed, goes to the left of uh, the other car, up on the grass and overtakes them. And it's like... Yeah, I feel like if you if you throw it down the outside and you're on the non-optimal because that blue stripey stuff does have a bit of like rub on it, you know, and you make it stick, then like sure, like you know, it's hardly speed racer, but it's it's using you know it's stretching the the rules of the track a little bit and and you know and and getting a I, I to me that's not like an unfair advantage. That's just like trying something ballsy on the last lap. So. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I I think I've just felt for Lando on the other one so much, and and by the rule of the law, that was a that that was a you know a, a penalty. But yeah, the, the the second part of it, the Kimmy thing, I thought that kind of sucked. It's the same move that he did uh, the opening lap of Australia, and if not for that little you know service yeah. road, it wouldn't his wing you know wouldn't have gotten eaten, and he would have made up a place. But it's good uh, to know that he, you know, trusts tarmac more than grass, I guess, or that he hasn't learned anything from that one. Yeah. Well, it's not uh, like there were drains everywhere on this. <laughs> you know? Although, given the trackside sprinklers, maybe there are. Totally. You can never tell. We've had so many races this year. Same in Baku with that bloody, whatever it was, drain pipe. We've had a lot of that stuff this year. Uh, after the race... Formula One uh, tweeted, Breaking, race stewards confirm two five-second penalties for Daniel Ricciardo, dropping him from P7 to P11. Uh, Ricciardo responded to this saying on Twitter, I'm a threat of a Twitter rant, but I'll save it. Hope everyone was entertained. Uh, To which Lando Norris replied, I was entertained. (laughs) Did you see the interview at Ricciardo? Where he... No. Where the the French French interviewer asked him... uh, that Roman Grosjean was complaining that he was swimming all over the place and, and taking up too much of the track. And I, I, I don't remember a part of the track where they were together at it's, any stage. It's when uh, Ricardo overtook him uh, in the corner and Grosjean complained. I think that's what okay. they're talking about. Um, uh, but Ricardo didn't remember it. And he was like, I, I, Grosjean, I don't remember that. And he went, well, I don't know. Like, fuck him i guess <laughs> whatever <laughs> and then and they, they bring up a lot of it and he's so like you know doesn't blase and kind of laughing about the whole thing um uh yeah and that's i think when he said the you know at least you know i added a bit of spice to the race or something um yeah which he did 
It's it's a shame. There's a different version of an F1. One that Rob is sort of, uh, you know, um, shining a lens or shining a light on or bringing into focus that like Ricardo would be amazing at. The one yes. where you can bend the rules a little bit. You know what I mean? Well, I think for me, the, the thing I don't know is to what degree would running F1 that way be incredibly dangerous? Because yeah. the reason that, that Indy can do that at like Circuit of Americas is because there are massive runoffs and then you still have... Uh, often grass and gravel before you reach a tire barrier, right? Yep, and you're not going as fast. Yeah, it, exactly. It, yeah. Like So F1 probably can't play these kinds of games quite as much, but it does feel like they've, you know, to the point about venues is that they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of, entries on the calendar now where you can you can run f1 cars around them but can you race them against each other safely uh within track limits and that that's Mm. harder and there's more and more venues now where it feels like the answer is basically not really and if you get it wrong and if you get it wrong we're gonna wrap your knuckles to the point where you would have been better off not attempting the move yeah uh, well, there's also another um, battle going on. Leclerc closing on Botas, which uh, I see you've linked, linked here, Rob, in the uh, the show notes that Botas was struggling with a engine misfire yeah, in the closing laps. Which was kind of a big uh, question mark because he had a massive lead on Leclerc. Everyone was basically saying this is the running order from here to the end. Uh, and then he started completely unfolding, like unraveling, it appeared. And Leclerc was just like taking about a second a lap out of him, uh, you know, every, every time around, which in F1 and on this track is, is pretty massive. You're giving up a second a lap. Uh, something's, you're either really screwing up or something's badly wrong or both. And, it got pretty hairy, I would say, for for Botas. Like uh, Leclerc got within DRS range of him and was in a position to maybe make an attempt, like even into the last corner, yeah. maybe had a shot at uh, you know getting down the inside. I think Botas made a, a a smart move in that he aggressively like cut to the outside and then really raked the steering over to slash across the apex, which completely balked uh, Leclerc and forced him to like bail out on uh, his dive down the inside. It was pretty exciting. I feel that lap, if that race had gone on a little longer, Leclerc probably would have gotten him. But apparently uh, the thing that was missing from what we, what we knew at the time was that there was some kind of engine issue that uh, Valtteri was was dealing with, and that is probably what caused him to give up so much time, which is reassuring because I think early on there was kind of this narrative that, man, Botas, is Botas just defeated at this point? Like, if he's, if he's starting to just zone out that badly in second place behind Lewis, is he basically done? And... That's still possible, but I, I hope not, and knowing that he was like, Dealing with a mechanical issue uh, makes me feel a little bit better about where he's at. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, uh, Lewis Hamilton comes home in first place. Valtteri Bottas in second. Charles Leclerc rounding out the podium behind them. Max Verstappen in fourth. Sebastian Vettel in fifth. Then we got Sainz, Raikkonen, Hulkenberg, Norris, Gasly, 
uh, after Daniel Ricardo's so um, penalty. Yeah, yeah Gasly's in tenth, final points paying position. He did have points. Uh, Ricardo in eleventh, followed by Perez, Stroll, Kvyat, and Albon in fifteenth. Then we got Antonio Giovinazzi, Kevin Magnussen, Robert Kubica, George Russell, and then not classified Roman Grosjean after he retired. Sebastian Vettel, mm. fastest lap of the race. Yeah, um, last lap. The final lap, yes. Plan F. Uh, driver standings, Lewis Hamilton, 187 points. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, 151. So that is a gap of, what, 36? Significant. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in third place with 111. Max Verstappen just 11 points behind with 100. Charles Leclerc in fifth with 87. Pierre Gasly behind him with 37. Uh, that is a big gap to Verstappen. Uh, Carlos Sainz is in seventh with 26. And we got Kimi Räikkönen in 19, or in eighth with 19. Ricardo and Hulkenberg teammates are tied with 16 points in ninth place. Kevin Magnussen and Lando Norris are tied for 11th with 14. Perez has 13. Kvyat in 14th place with 10 points. Then we got Albon with seven, Stroll with six, Grosjean with still two points. Then we got Antonio Giovinazzi, George Russell, and Bobby Kay with zero. Hmm. Constructor-wise, Mercedes has 338 points. Ferrari with 198. Red Bull's got 137. McLaren in a, uh, I don't want to say solid because they're only eight points ahead of Renault, but they're in fourth place with 40 points. Renault's got 32. Racing Point and Alfa Romeo are tied at 19 points. Then just two points behind Scuderia Toro Rosso with 17. And Gene Haas and team have 16 points. So it's tight. Williams says zero. How did Giovinazzi's <laughs> race go so wrong? I, you I ever don't... tell Hulkenberg? <laughs> or no, <laughs> but this is this is a thing that I like. I, I'm realizing that the, the, he pitted from like ninth. Yeah, because he, he, he qualified yeah. ahead of uh, Kimi, right? He was yeah, and then he was pretty. down in, like, 20th for a bit and finishes, mm-hmm. yeah, 17th. I Let's have a, yeah. In my I'm notes, look at the lap I couldn't charge. quite figure out where that had gone wrong. Um, but it was, it was striking because he looked pretty good throughout the weekend, right? Like one of the things about Giovinazzi has been that he was rusty coming into the season, but because he'd spent a year basically on simulators and hadn't been in a real car for ages. Yeah. Um, but it just seems weird to me that like, I was, I was looking through my notes, like, cause I was, no- I was, I was noticing what like, you know, his duels down around like 16th and such, but at no point did I ever really write down how he ended up back there because well, he, I think it just—I think he just cycled in for a pit stop. He yeah, but he pitted so much earlier than everyone else. He was—he pitted lap five. Yeah. Everyone else, the window was like lap ten. So I'm not sure was was this a Q3 issue with the tires? Maybe that he was—he was on his yeah maybe Q, he, Q2 he tires had to bail and on just, the softs um, by lap like seven or eight. It looks like. And yeah, and by the time everyone else pits, he only gets he only gets like two laps or two places back, three places back. Yeah, he's in he's in seventeenth once most of the pack is pitted, like in lap nineteen. So I guess it's just pace was, was shot on those early yeah. stint, or maybe the the stint the or the second stint. Yeah, it's such mm. a it, it's just 
seems like a, a striking one. Like, man, when you when you get these calls wrong, uh, they they really do go all the way wrong. Hmm. It was disappointing, says Giovanazzi, on the sauber-group.com website to finish out of the points, but we were up against it when starting on the soft tires. It was the price to pay for a good performance on Saturday, but it effectively compromised my race before the start. We pitted early as the softs didn't last, but in the end, we had to make another stop in order to finish the race. I can still take some positives from strong qualifying, and of course, it was important for the team to get back into the points. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so did they not just have enough fresh tires ready or something? Well, like, so there was no way to make a, there was no way to make a two-stopper optimal, I guess, is is the thinking here. And if he had to really push to get, to qualify the car up in 10th, if he had to really push hard to do that, and that required, like, burning through a set of softs, uh, I could see that. I, I I could see that. It's um, especially because if your car was already not handling well on the softs, and then you start the race with a full load of fuel on the on your already on your already chewed up softs, I could see that being just devastating. And then if everyone else if everyone else is basically running uh, softs or mediums uh, early on, and meanwhile you're on hards now. Even if you're in their sort of optimal performance window, they're fresh. Other people haven't really hit their cliff yet, so you're also giving up the whatever it is second to lap between the the hards and the uh, and the mediums. So yeah, it just um, it just seemed pretty disastrous for uh, for for Giovinazzi. Uh, yeah, he was. It looks like he's the only person who's one of the, one of like two people who started on. Um, on, on the on the soft, the other being Gasly, uh, which, ye. right? He he actually made his tires last a fairly long time. I think. Yeah. Um, so that's why he's, that's him. why he's winning Formula One point two five. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, should we take it to the news here, yeah. fellas? Sure. All right, Rob, want to kick it off? Uh, sure. Um, so. Patty Lowe, we, this, ba- this is basically already a done deal, uh, but now it is official. Patty Lowe will not be returning to Williams. His leave of absence has turned into a departure, effective immediately. Uh, Lowe said, after a period of careful reflection, I've reached the decision that I will not return to work at Williams. I wish all my previous con- colleagues the very best to meet the challenges ahead, which I'm sure they will do. I'd especially like to thank the Williams fans who are so supportive. This is this is almost exactly the quote at the end of Jurassic Park where Dr. Grant says, after careful consideration, I've decided not to endorse your park. <laughs> yeah, I uh I don't know. It's time will tell, uh, I guess, what is happening at Williams. I don't have the insight in you know into whether this is a good move or not. A lot of people who you know follow like reporters who follow the uh, the circuit do not think low was the problem. But again, on the other hand, as I talked about, like there is kind of a tendency to go easy on the guy who's personable and accessible to reporters. Um, it's just it's really tough to like ultimately uh the buck has to stop somewhere at williams but he was mercedes guy wasn't he for a long time patty Lowe, isn't that where he came from yeah so like under braun 
uh, or or even under under Wolf as well. I thought he came kind of directly from Mercedes a few years ago. Maybe I'm making that up. But no, I think I can't remember. Was it Williams uh, for six years, McLaren for fourteen, which is kind of the stint I remember, and then Mercedes for four before Williams. Yeah, yeah. good pedigree. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll figure it out. Speaking of figuring things out. Uh-huh. So last week, uh, Danny, we were trying to yeah. figure out what Ferrari's new evidence was going to be to further yeah. appeal the verdict of the stewards at, uh, at Montreal. Um, did we get any clarity on what new evidence Ferrari uncovered in their research? Yeah, so similar to when you're having an argument on a message board and you post your favorite YouTube clip um, as evidence, Ferrari uh, managed or submitted a an analytical sort of like op-ed from Karun Chandak as, as evidence, um, which is... Uh, which I I am I must imagine is a first. I think that this must be the first time this has ever happened. Um, I haven't watched this video, um, but uh, I can go to the reporting here from uh, SkySports.com, who are more than happy to report on this, considering it was their <laughs> video that was used. Um, it's uh, Sky's F1's current Chandak on uh, the narrative of 2019 so far, and his surprise at Ferrari using his analysis for their penalty charge. Oh, this is actually an actual full article that current Chandak has, uh, has has written. Have you guys read that yet? Yeah, there's a quote here. Uh, While I was, of course, flattered to hear that a team as big and as great as Ferrari felt that my analysis was worth including in their appeal submission, it also seemed confusing to me that they chose to do so. The FIA were right to disregard this bit of analysis in the appeal because there's no way that a third party's opinion, especially someone who's working as a TV broadcaster, would count as factual evidence. I have like a like a dream that they took this information to heart and then the counter was the Jolian Palmer analysis that's on the F1 YouTube channel, which is 15 minutes of him saying that Vettel was wrong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it kind of it, it it's like this is completely bizarre. I can't believe they did that. I am just looking forward to like when the FIA starts publishing like Michael Massey reacts videos to these <laughs> things. But no, it's uh, I I think it's embarrassing. I think it's a bad. It's look. really embarrassing. I think it's like Ferrari are like this is this is like New Orleans Saints territory where you need to move, like get over a thing and move on from it rather than keep like telling the world in so many ways how dirty you think they done you uh like go like taping a segment off sky sports and being like i feel be pretty i think you'll be pretty impressed with the evidence <laughs> we've marshaled for our case and it's Karun chandak who yeah it is flattering it's a cool like cool you know, they, they were like, this is a really good argument. We couldn't have said it better ourselves. That's great. Except here's the problem. The FIA has like all the information. They have all the telemetry. They know exactly what the steering angle was on, on the vehicle. Karun's not going to yeah. have that. There, there's no analysis. There, there, is, there is no world there's in which no the FIA evidence. is going to be like, damn, we got owned by facts and reason. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's completely bizarre. Like the... 
the the stipulation of the very particular way they even did it, right? Because it wasn't just the because the, they left the appeal off. This was like a different, uh, you know, mechanism of the law that they were using or the rules. And it was very clear that it was new evidence needed to be submitted. And everyone was wondering, how will they have this new evidence? What do they have that the FAA don't? Unless there's something wrong with the car or. Yeah, completely. It's just flabbergasting. Um, there's a great article where Lewis Hamilton basically said that once he heard what the evidence was, he was like, oh, okay, fine. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bananas. Yeah, they need to, like, they, they have just, like, all they're doing now is ruining their look. Like, this this is just silly at this stage, and they just need to, I mean, it's. It, I think that's the last we're going to hear of this, hopefully. Well, uh, speaking of uh, putting your impressions of things online, do you guys want to talk about uh, F1 2019? Danny, I know you've been playing a little bit of it. Um, Rob, yeah, have I, you? No. Have okay. not had a single minute. Like, I have installed it on two machines. Ooh. Haven't um, launched it. So I, I have launched it, but it was doing the PlayStation 4 thing of we've you can race in Melbourne, but we're downloading the rest of the game. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I did a couple of races using my uh, Logitech G29 race wheel. A um, couple of initial impressions. It looks fantastic, the lighting on this one, especially on the night tracks, which I've seen in gameplay, not actually in the in the stuff that I played, um, is wonderful. But Melbourne looks absolutely great. Um, the intro had like an interesting... It was They still haven't put my surname in the game, which I'm bummed about, so I'm still o- O'Brien whenever Crofty says my name, which is pretty <laughs> close, I guess. Um, uh, the setup was cool. You could, you know, they let you pick your driver's kind of look and stuff, and they also had uh, women drivers in it, which I don't think they did last year. Um, really? So that was kind of okay. cool. Uh, F2 is in it as well, um, which I haven't had a chance to have a go of. Uh, I'd love to know is, what uh, that means, F2 is in it. Yeah, I guess... I guess you'll just race on the tracks that I wish I wish I had access to more of it but by the time we started but I guess you'll just there's no new tracks or anything so sure. I'm guessing you can just use the cars uh, they have a bunch of classic cars and there's something like 22 different classic cars I, I, I reckon they had about a dozen in the last one um, uh, and you can play it today today is Tuesday the day we're recording this if you have the Rivals edition which is the one that comes with Senna and Prost they're like character skins and also their cars um, I'm not sure if i think it might be the 1992 cars uh um 1991 cars the one um, with sonic the hedgehog on the side oh my god really i think that was 93 gotta go fast blast mm-hmm. processing man make f1 faster um yeah i i, I it seems rich with features in a way that some of those games in the past have been a little bit scant uh they're diving into their esports and multiplayer stuff pretty heavy too i've never been super into that um but it looks great it, it looks fantastic and the handling was 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 uh felt you know tight felt like last year's maybe maybe a bit better um there was some other stuff in there as well in relation to um the tire wear they you it was either based off track temp corrosion or like both or neither or something um so there was some extra little features in there uh, in relation to that uh but yeah uh, i guess i'll have more impressions next week but um yeah it's uh, it's available for everyone else i think it's everyone available all the other versions on friday so you can go pick it out there it's also two months early this is this usually doesn't come out until after the summer break so it's it's pretty cool to have it now i imagine that's them probably they have a bigger team i know um the the development studio uh and then i also think that they're probably going to be working on next gen stuff maybe so it was a way of just like getting this one done and then focusing on next year's uh but yeah so far so far happy 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 danny Cool. Well, does Happy Danny want to take us to Austria? Österreich? 
Yeah, the Ostreicht ring, also known as the A1 ring, now known as the Red Bull ring. Um, I'd love to say that we're going from one boring circus to an exciting one, but the, this isn't exactly... And This is kind of suffers a similar problem to, you know, these legacy tracks that maybe the modern cars are not particularly suited to. Um, we have had some moments here, interesting ones. Uh, the first race that was ever in the area was in 1964, but it wasn't actually on the circuit. It wasn't built then. It was on a, an airstrip that's behind it. Um, 1970 was when they broke ground or, or when they um, opened the track and I had the first sort of F, uh, FIA or I guess Formula 1 uh, season race there. Um, there's been some uh, interesting moments. In 82, there was a, a, a fantastic ending to the race uh, where uh, Ilio uh, De Angelis beat Keke Rosberg by uh, five one-hundredths of a second. Um, uh, a real sort of uh, down-to-the-wire one. Uh, this is where Nigel Mansell famously hit his head on the podium uh, and then Murray Walker went, oh, you looks, looks like you hit your head and poked him where he had hit his head on the bruise. Uh, you can imagine Mansell's reaction to that one. Um <laughs> After uh, 1987, it was shortened and renamed the A1 ring. Um, and then in 2011, the uh, Red Bull uh, bought it, kind of rebuilt it because it was falling apart a little bit um, and renamed it the Red Bull ring. Um, this is also where Rubens Barrichello, uh, the famous team orders in 2002, where he let Chumi go past him, which kind of brought team orders into... Uh, it was kind of like the beginning of the end for team orders in that era, shall we say. Um, I think it also left, a, uh, it left an impression, at least from the people that I talked to, it left an impression in Brazil for Rubens Barrichello. Uh, right. Because I, I, when I was there for Cloth Map, I asked people like, so F1? And they were, eh, not really, but um, the, I guess the only things I know are Senna and Rubens is slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which which is also why when the Fernando was faster than new stuff happened, it was particularly sensitive to Brazilian uh, fans. Um, yes, that that yeah that that moment cast a sort of a long shadow um, uh, for the next next rest of that era. Anyway, um, it's a high downforce track, tough to overtake on this one. It's got three DRS zones. They added another one. I think it was last year. I want to say um, it's uh, it's pretty high above sea level at its peak. It's seven hundred and eighty four. Uh, meters above sea level, about 720 at its lowest. Um, so that obviously has a little bit of a, an effect on on the uh, aero and the, on the engines as well. Um, but it's a it's a top speed track, so we can imagine that the the Mercedes are going to laugh their way through this one, Ferrari as well, and the Red Bulls. You know, I guess we'll see what car turns up or, or if uh, Pierre Gasly can get a bit more speed on there. Um, it's a kind of a technical circuit, lots of uh, you know high-speed areas, and then very uh, fast or very um, tight braking zones. Um, turn one is interesting enough. It's kind of like Austin flipped. Uh, it's a, an uphill, can't really see the apex tight one, but it goes to the right rather than the left. Um, it also has a weird little pit exit there, which kind of reminds me of the one on Spa, where you kind of go on one straight, and then before you hit a rouge, you have another straight, but the pit exit comes on the on the right there. Um uh, and then, and I think this is where, who was it who famously crashed exiting the pits? They sp- they did wheel spin and like just binned it. I, f- I think it was on this track that happened. Sorry, I, I should have looked that up beforehand. Um, turn three, four, and five is kind of a nice little S's section that's downhill into the uh, central arena of the track, which is kind of its most, I guess, uh, 
famous section if you're actually attending the race. Um, but it's uh, generally a well-attended race. It's a, it's in a beautiful spot in Spielberg in Austria. Um, the race itself, maybe not the most exciting um, uh, one to, uh, to to watch on television. We'll, we'll sort of have to see. But uh, it's one that I've always wanted to go to because it kind of it feels like a much more compressed version of something like a spa where it's in a beautiful part of the world. It'd be fun to go there and to like, you know, there's good food. People are nice. The sun's generally shining. Um, but uh, unlike Spa, which is just spread across half of the Ardennes, this one is kind of like in its own little pocketed valley and goes into itself. So um, yeah, I imagine kind of like the French DP, a fun one to go to, good spectator experience, but uh, doesn't necessarily make for the best races here. At least it'll look nicer on TV. Yeah, it's kind of a... I feel like it's a good TV track. I kind of feel sorry for the helicopter pilot on this one. I don't know how they ever... Did they just float in the middle? Because it's really like... It really falls in on itself in a way that... Like, kind of... I guess, you know, Bahrain does, but Bahrain has... It it, it flows wider. This one is very, you know... I don't know, centralized. They'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm sure they know how to do that. <laughs> Uh, for this race, we've got the hard C2, the medium C3, and the soft C4. Boom. Uh, plastique. Uh, everyone <laughs> seems to be taking one or two hards. Uh, the variation is with the medium and the softs. The Ferraris mm. are taking four and five mediums and seven softs, uh, whereas the Mercedes guys are taking uh, two and three mediums and nine softs. I think the only other, yeah, the only other team taking seven softs only uh, is Racing Point. Uh, almost everyone else is taking nine of the softs, uh, with the exception of, let's see, McLaren's taking eight, and so is uh, Verstappen. So, hmm. uh, weather-wise, it looks to be uh, just balmy on uh qualifying and um race day the let's see temp for qualifying is around 79 fahrenheit or 26 celsius a little hotter on race day uh which has a lot of impact uh when you're at altitude because the air is a lot thinner so 89 uh or uh 32 on race day precipitation very low uh zero and three percent respectively uh and winds um about eight miles an hour or i'm sorry eight kilometers an hour or five miles an hour on each day so uh should be just fine maybe maybe a little warm for those tires but um yeah maybe similar to france hmm. uh fantasy league standings uh, i like you oh, reading boy. the 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 points from 10 to 1 danny so i'm gonna do that for uh awesome. our shift f1 league which you can join uh, with the uh, invite code uh, in the show notes. Although someone was mentioning on Twitter that there might be a problem with that, so I'm going to look into that. So if you can't join, Mm. um, uh, stay tuned on the Twitter account. Too many teams. Uh, We got 1,495. That's 1,495 teams uh, in this. And the top 10 are Pointless Racing Force in 10th place, followed by Speed Beast in 9th. 8th is Dragon Ball GT. 7th is Blow to the Future Part 3. Sixth is Fry the Tires. Then we got in fifth place, Maka F1, followed by fourth place, Alpha Emojis. Uh, third place, Mercedes all the way. <clears throat> number two, the Hamiltons break the system. Uh, and number one, still solid first place, 
Steering wheel, hey, hey, give it to me, move, come on. Uh, I did okay this week. I think I'm in like 400 and something place. Hmm. Um, I think, yeah, Raikkonen, uh, he was my turbo driver. He got me double points, so he got me 44. Leclerc got me 32. Perez and uh, Racing Point not doing so hot. I wonder if uh, I might have to swap them out. Oh, I'm wrong. Uh, 654th. <laughs> That's where I am. <laughs> I'm not even going to look. I had Kimmy in my turbo spot, and Leclerc, I guess, finally got a podium for me, which is good. But, yeah. And I guess I had Botas. I probably did all right. Lando, I had Norris, though, as well. So all my Kimmy points were lost with Lando. Oh, I, I'll bet Lando's a good get. He's probably not too expensive. Maybe I No, should. he's 5.4. He's like, he's definitely better than his peers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we take it to some emails? Rob, do you have I a question? I think we should probably <laughs> take it. <laughs> Curious looks from Rob. Yeah. I was I was just <laughs> reflecting that your methodology did seem a little bit flawed in that you're looking at assets whose valuation has recently just spiked and been like, I should get in on that. And <laughs> I, oh, do, they, I, I do, imagine they must adjust it. Week they week. do. Yeah. That's okay. why I can't get rid of some of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of it kind of stuck with the team you have at this stage mm. in a way. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Ugh. Love the one. Uh, yeah. Uh, not many emails this week. Um, TBH. I think everyone kind of fell asleep. It was kind of like that race was the witch's apple, and we're all waiting for a uh, for Prince Charming's kiss. And I'm not sure if it's going to come in France, but uh, thank you very much to Steve for sending in a question uh, about racing board games. This has come up before, but it hasn't uh, since we've had Rob uh, on the show. And also I I think it's been a hot minute as well. So he said, uh, do you folks know there are two racing tabletop games on Amazon, Downforce and Formula D. Uh, One game runs around 45 minutes uh, and another for an hour. Um, do you guys have any uh, other like racing board game stuff that you're into at all? Um, have you played for? Uh, we talked about Formula D before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that game rolls. Like that's a, that. It, it is an extremely good uh, racing board game. It is also the only thing wrong with it is they chose Monaco as their track, right? And so it posits this really fascinating like alternate reality. Where Monaco is awesome and like <laughs> we're just, just overtaking oh, yeah, all just the full time. Of, you know, do you just want to you just want to push it like at like twice like at twice the normal rate of speed through like rest cats? No, uh, you can't do that in life. But through the magic of this game, you can. Uh, the thing I always like about Formula D is you can choose to take mechanical damage to salvage a like. If you get unlucky with a with a dice roll. So have you played this? Do you know how it works? No. no. Okay. So here's the cool thing. Every gear has a different uh, die associated with it. And so if you are in like fifth gear, you are rolling a D20 like you use for Dungeons and Dragons, right? If you are in like third gear, you are rolling uh, like a D10 or a D8 type of thing right like the damage dice you'll be using in Dungeons and Dragons and so like lower gear means like obviously you're going to be moving fewer spaces uh higher gear means that you're going you, you have a chance to really go lunging uh great distances down the track which gets interesting because then you're thinking uh you can run into a corner in a higher gear because chances are you will get 
a better run going into the corner, but now you put yourself at risk of getting a ridiculously high dice roll. And now you've got a corner where you have to negotiate it and you've somehow got to move like 20 spaces um, despite the, and basically you do not have the tire wear to give up. So going into a corner (laughs) too fast, you end up like you have to take damage points off your tires. I mean, you can also do something where if you've overcooked it on the straight and you're just lunging down the straight too fast and now you're coming up on the corner, uh, what you can do is you can drop, you can skip a gear. You can go straight from like fifth down to third and damage your gearbox. And so like playing with the full rules in effect, it's this whole like constant sense of trade-offs of if you go for a ridiculously fast lap the first time around the track, so you're playing a two-lap race, the second time around, you don't have any more hit points to give up. Like basically right. now you have to be perfect. You can't, you know, you, you basically taken all that you can out of the car and so now you just have to play the dice. And it actually ends up feeling really race-like in a way that I would not have expected from a board game. Um, wow. I've mentioned this one maybe once or twice. Uh, I kick-started it back in like November of 2016, and I got it finally like maybe six weeks ago. Oh, um, wow. It's called La Corsa. It's like a very... It's a much more basic... Ver- like um, version of what you were talking about and it also takes place over the course of a season so it's less about the particulars of like a, a turn or whatever and um, it's it's a card game like there are a little kind of like dinky race tracks and the board is is just like a uh, like a circle like a like a track that way um but each hand you deal is a race and basically you you play with other people it's kind of like a more simple rule set you can play with like family and kids and stuff like that um i haven't actually when i ordered it i remember i was like you know in a social situation where i could like play with people and since then i moved to maryland and had a kid so i haven't had a chance to actually get people together to play this yet so um maybe we can do it at some stage when we're in the same spot kids are um, like an investment in a gaming group though that's like true and, and like once she's like not in a position where she'll choke on a die i think right we'll, we'll be there she's already watched a race with me though so yeah this thing know. like like formula d like i think that's like an ages eight and up game like <laughs> is it formula day is that what you said earlier yeah i think because just because it, like it's a german game and so it was, like when right. it made its way over here through like euro game uh circles Right. Uh, because that was generally who adopted it first, not racing fans. It was just people who were looking for like worker placement and other types of like mathy games. Uh, they cool. sort of were say they were sort of uh, using the name they'd heard it called in like uh, German circles. Right. Got it. Awesome. Uh, we got another email here from Jack in Ohio about Formula One point two five. So I mean. This has given me so much joy, I can't tell you. Um, So Jack says, I noticed in the episode after the Monaco Grand Prix, you guys spent a bit of time talking about Formula 1.5. I'm hoping for Hulkenberg to pick up his third championship. Well, I just thought I'd send you guys a link to the growing 1.25 community on Reddit so you can check it out. So, of course... Uh, for those who need an update uh, or a refresh, one point uh, Formula One point five is essentially the Formula One season, uh, as if Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull um, were not in it. Um, Formula One point two five appears to be a version of the F one season, 
where the only driver is Pierre Gasly. (laughs) And the, I think the commitment to the bit is, is incredible. So it's basically just... There are driver standings. There are videos. There's like a video of like, oh, here's the uh, here's the highlights of the Canadian Grand Prix's uh, free practice, and it's just like this trolley meme video where they've remixed the one that's on the F1 channel, and it's and the only driver that's going around the track is Pierre Gasly, and the rest of them are all just hanging out in the in the in the pits. It's it's fantastic. There's 1.4 thousand members. You should all check it out update due to ricardo's penalty ghastly rises from first to first position in today's french grand prix truly no one can stop this man oh boy it's fantastic yeah there's one here was it like driver of the day um yeah opinion driver rankings after eight races of the 2019 season and here's a picture of pierre gas oh it just says one pierre gasly yeah okay (laughs) There's one where it has like here's the updated standings after France, and it's Pierre Gasly with 208 points and no one <laughs> else. Does he always get the fastest lap too? <laughs> he must. Like that's the only way the math adds up. <laughs> Which, in fairness, he has actually gotten two of them uh, this season. So at least you know, at least it's somewhat accurate. But yeah, go check out uh, Formula 1.5. It's a uh, formula R slash Formula Digit One P O I N T 25. Check it out. Well, you can send all of those uh, insightful subreddits uh, our way at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow What's us next? on <laughs> Formula <laughs> 1.115. Is that how that works? 1.125. Yeah. That's uh, Robert Kibitza winning every race. <laughs> uh you can also follow us on Twitter at shift F one podcast. I'm at drew Scanlon That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. Uh, that's enough around the world of the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the world. Scandal in the world of NASCAR. Scandal car. Scandal car. We got, uh, not only do the Gander mountain trucks, Xfinity Series and the Monster NASCAR Cup all race at the same speedway, the Chicagoland Speedway. They're going to race them at the same time. They're going to race with the same name of the race, but for the distance. So, and it's crazy because, as we all know, we just changed recently to Gander Gander Mountain Trucks. But the sponsor for all name it is Gander Trucks, I believe. (laughs) Uh, But the sponsor for the race. All three races, that's right, Camping World. We got the Camping oh, World 225. We've got the camp for for the Gander Mountain Trucks. We got Camping World 225. Oh, my God. For the Xfinity race, we got ca- the Camping World 300. And for NASCAR, we got the Camping World 400. It's 100 more than the Xfinity series. I, it is, uh, that is like... That there are like things in like life that I I'm just irritated by. One of them is a plastic bag full of hangers, like clothes. Oh my hangers. god! Mm-hmm. It yeah, is not just make you feel sick. Yeah. Just the idea of that. And this this is this trying to explain to somebody why this is named that way and why it's confusing to everyone is that one. The other thing I'm going to say about this is that 
at least 100 people are going to turn up to the wrong race. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way yeah. that, that, that everyone's getting out of that one free. Oh, the Camper World 3. I thought it was the 400, but I guess it's the 3. Yeah, it's probably 300. I guess we're going on Saturday. Because the cars are faster, so they complete it faster, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. Is that it, Johnny? Yeah. All right. Uh, Formula 2 will be supporting Formula 1 at the Red Bull Ring. The IMSA WeatherTech Championship is at Watkins Glen International for Salem. Yeah. Six hours of the Glen. Uh, MotoGP is at Motul TT Assen, which is always a good time. If you, yeah, uh, Assen's super. If you watch one MotoGP race, uh, make it this one. Although, maybe that means it's, uh, it's going to be a boring one. Uh, MotoGP has been pretty cool this year. Um... Super GT. I know you're going to ask me the prefecture, Danny, but there isn't one this week. Wash, wash. Because we're in Thailand at the Chang wow. International Circuit. At, Is oh that my like God. Chang, Chang Check this address out. 444 Moo. <laughs> 15 <laughs> Buri Ram. Chang Wat Buri Ram. 31,000. Did they say Buri Ram twice? Uh, Buri Ram Cheng Wat Buri Ram. Buri Ram, one word the first time, two words the second time. 31,000. 31,000. 31,000. 31,000. I imagine that's the zip code. (laughs) But even so, isn't that too many? I guess no, that would be five. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's Uh, strong. 444 Moo. I wish that was my address. That's my new license plate now. Uh, And then we got Formula One. How about that? Uh, practice one kicks off at 5 a.m. on Friday uh, Eastern Time on ESPN2. Uh, then we got fra- free practice two at 9 a.m. That's on ESPNU for all you college students out there. Practice three, <laughs> uh, 6 a.m. on Saturday on ESPN2. Qualifying ESPN3 uh, at 9 a.m. Uh, and then the race, fellas, Sunday, June 30th at 9 a.m. on ESPN2. Yes. The Deuce. Love these European races on the East Coast. It's awesome. Uh, nine o'clock, uh, six o'clock. Mm, probably yeah, won't wake up for that one. What's uh? What, where is it at? What's the name of the track? The Red Bull Ring. Yeah. What if I just I just had an idea? What if? What if? Rich Energy bought Silverstone. Whoa. The Rich Energy Ring. Whoa. Think about it. The Rich Energy Stone. As long as the check clears. Yeah, which it won't. I mean, Um, it's the one thing that's still going for him. I guess. We're going to... Look, there there is a long and proud history of F1 owners getting caught in financial crimes. (laughs) So let's let's not... uh, You know, let's not... Let's not... I don't know. Let's just stop talking about rich energy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, If if you'd like to... um, do a financial crime. You can sh- uh, support the show at patreon.com slash shift F1. Uh, not only did we That's post a weird the beer thing taste- for you to say on the day you inform us that you unilaterally <laughs> changed the password. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, we not only posted that taste test, we also uh, posted the first of our Drive to Survive episodes. Uh, episodes one through three uh, of the Netflix series. Um, I'm really enjoying rewatching those uh, and yeah. our, our next uh, two Patreon 
exclusive episodes will be on the rest of the series. I think we're going to do three episodes, three episodes, and four episodes. So, Yeah, I'm and I am that. foregoing the F1 race history uh, this month to do one on the new F1 game, because I thought that might be actually, you know, have some utility, um, especially as I have it a bit early as well. So look out for that on Patreon in the next couple of days. I would love to see that in motion. Mm. Uh, all right, we're going to see a bunch of cars in motion this weekend. So uh, until then, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.